Are you a fan of the small ball? I'm not as dramatic, you know, as, as GM. Dramatic? You sound like my wife, no. Jealous of all the inside analysis and crack on the football pod? Well, we've got you covered with the Hurling Pod. Subscribe to the Hurling Pod feed on the OTB Sports app now. The Koi Gig Pod and OTB Sports in association with Cadbury. A player and a half deserves a glass and a half of support. Everyone ran their socks off tonight and they left everything out there. They're very proud of the, the team's performance. Let the shackles off Katie a bit so that she can go and play her game. We're going to go out there to beat them. We're going to try and beat them. Hello there and welcome to episode 16 of the Koi Gig Pod. Off the ball's home of everything WSL, Irish football and all the bits in between. I'm Karen Duggan and I don't usually do this bit. Um, so as you might have noticed, there was no podcast last week and Kathleen can't join us this week. Unfortunately, Kathleen had to undergo surgery on her brain. Thankfully, though, it went really well. She's back in her beloved Sligo, resting and recovering and hopefully listening in. And we, of course, wish her all the best. But I think it's all going well, considering her main concern when she woke up from surgery was if Joey Carberry was starting for Ireland against Italy. <laughs> so <laughs> safe to say that she's the same old Kathleen and she'll be back taking the piss and spreading her Sligo propaganda as much as she can in no time. Um, what that does mean, however, is that you're stuck with me as the host. So... So my apologies in advance, we'll just say that this is going to be a hell of a lot less professional and a hell of a lot more chaotic than usual. So bear with us. Um, but obviously off the ball would not let me do this by myself. So here to put manners on me is the one and only Ruth Fahey. Ruth, WNL stalwart, one of my oldest friends, not that we know each other that long, we're just old. Um, thank you for joining us oh, on the podcast. <laughs> Oh, God, you're going to dig in right away. You know, you've been calling me old since I was 21 years old. Like, yeah, 21. Old and wise. Well, at least you get to spread your wisdom on the podcast with us here today. So, obviously, we have a new team here. Um, things will be a little bit different, but thankfully, some things stay the same. So, we will be joined by Emma Carroll later on for the Quigate WSL Team of the Week. And fresh from her 100th cap at the Pinotar Cup, Liverpool legend Niamh Fahey will join us on the pod for a chat. First, though, a lot of weekend action to get through with you, Ruth. Baptism of fire here. There was a lot of football this weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, We started off a domestic league in Ireland. We had silverware across the pond. And, of course, we're getting into the the business end of the WSL. So we'll kick it off and just briefly talk about the, the Women's National League. Obviously, game... Game day one of the season, no real surprises in any of the results. All the people we expected to win did win. Anything stand out to you from the first week? Um, not particularly. I think, like you said, probably all expected. Obviously, personally, really pleased to see Galway keep a clean sheet. Good way to start for, for the Westerners. Um, I actually got to see Bows and Shells. I got there. I was a little bit delayed, so I got the second half. Um, it was nil all up until... You know, the last 20 minutes or so, a pair of slattery goal. But I thought I thought Bose actually could have held them nil all. They're brilliant defensively, despite the absence of Yvonne Hedigan. I thought the two centre-halves brilliant. Um, but I was, yeah, I was I was intrigued to see how the scoreline would go between yourselves and Sligo Rovers. And out of interest, what position were you playing? Um, oh, box to box. So I don't know if energy midfielder, you know me. I uh, know I was in the centre circle for a year. You were centre back, no? No, I wasn't centre back. I've, I've been released Congrats. for the time being. Thank you so much. Congrats. You know, you know how much I love playing centre back. But mm-hmm. no, back in centre mid. Um, thankfully, although obviously not <laughs> for a slight point of view, Emma Hansbury did have an injury. So we avoided okay. that clash. So that was pretty good for our point of view. Um, so yeah, nothing too much to write home about. However, across the pond, we did have have our first um, domestic cup and silverware exchanged Chelsea v Man City in the Conti Cup obviously there's four places between them in the league 
Chelsea had won the last two of these and they're very dominant domestically in recent times. So they would have gone into this favourites, even though City's form has turned around in, in recent times. And you'd have to say on the balance of things, City very much deserved to win that game. Yeah, I thought it was a brilliant 90 minutes of football, especially for a final. Um, I think anyone watching the opening 45 probably would have put their house probably on Chelsea. Um, I think Emma Hayes said it herself that they did enough in the first half without actually having control of the football the way they wanted. Uh, now, there was one moment, I don't know if you spotted in the first half, Demi Stokes went for went for a strike the edge of the box. Sophie Ingle had her hands above her head and there was absolutely no dramas about that. I just thought that was bizarre. No one, like, there was no analysis in that at all. Um, but in any it's case, funny considering how much fallout there was from the Chelsea Arsenal game and that potential handball on Leah Williamson, I would have thought that people would have been mad to hammer that and be like, what's wrong? Why aren't they giving penalties for these things? Yeah, exactly. And the fact it was just so unbelievably blatant. There was mm. no natural positioning when your hands are literally above your head. Um, but anyway, City wouldn't mind it too much. Whatever happened the rest of the halftime, they came out and just upped the game about five or six gears. Um I think the first half, again, Emma Hayes and the back four would have been unbelievably disappointed. Again, it was it was Ingle's involvement, very uncharacteristically caught. Just ball watching and Caroline Weir just drifted in behind her, even had the space to take a touch and just drive into the bottom corner. And then I think after that on both flanks, I think, yeah, Lucy Braun, Stanway, Hemp was incredible in the second half yeah, as well. For me, Hemp, I think, is one of the players yeah. of the season so far. She's so dangerous down that left-hand side. And yeah, they... She caused problems all day, but particularly that second half, like I say, the performance mm. was unbelievable. Not dissimilar to their male counterparts against Man United at the weekend. They just completely control the ball. We don't talk about that sometimes, Karen. That was <laughs> My father is still in pain over that. Anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, Hemp was epic. Like, and she, again, poor defending for the second goal and no other than Moy to, to pop it in. And then that final goal, of course, the second from Weir was just exquisite, wasn't it? And she's um, had it for a couple of weeks. Oh my God. You, you know, any other player... The ball bounces or it comes out from a corner like that, and you can absolutely, you can either a absolutely lash it or mm. b go for that sort of exquisite deft uh, instep, and it was just pinpoint perfect. Um, and she deservedly got player of the match, I think, for, for those two goals. Yeah, she loves the cracker. Um, obviously they weren't involved in WSL action, but Chelsea's main rivals for that title, Arsenal, were. Um, tough task for Birmingham although earlier in the season Birmingham pulled mm. off the, the biggest shock having having beaten them however their run of form has been reflective of their position I think the last few games or maybe two games even prior to this they conceded four in each of those games um, scoreline was 4-2 at the end Birmingham staged a little bit of a comeback but I don't think it was ever in doubt from an Arsenal point of view No not really I suppose Probably the only hope Birmingham had that going in was the fact that they had had a 2-0 defeat early in the season. Um, the Open 45, I've just never seen a team look so unbelievably comfortable. And Birmingham decided just to sit back. They were sitting so deep with five, I think it was five of the flat four in front of them. And it was literally a case where Catley on the left joined the midfield, uh, Vine Rathier on the right joined the midfield, and then it was either Williamson or Raffaello could actually step in as well. Like They had so much time and space. Just you know, They were literally playing laterally across the pitch. And it's just a case then a break, break in Birmingham down, which... I think went up to 3-0. I thought it was game over, but massive credit um, to Birmingham, especially to Lucy Quinn, who I thought was unbelievably tenacious. Despite being 3-0 down, she played a key part in winning the free kick for that first goal and obviously scored the second one. So there was a few nervy moments and there was a brief, I suppose, spell where that Birmingham could cook them back, um, but then they just finished it off to make it 4-2 in the end. And it was, yeah, comfortable and worrying time to Birmingham, obviously. Yeah, definitely. And it was a landmark day for a couple of the Arsenal players. Um, I'm sure we will mention this later with Emma Medima reaching 100 goal contributions in, mm-hmm. 
think something like 83 games, which is ridiculous. But another one was Jordan Nobbs. So she was making her 250th appearance for Arsenal. And there's been a bit on this on Twitter, the fact that she got a two-minute run, run out in a game where, you know, she should be celebrated. And, you know, it was a game where they were very much in control. Um, mm. It would have been a game that she definitely could have had an influence on it. What's your opinion on that? Do you think it's there's no space for sentiment or do you think that would have been nice for her to have had a proper winner. Yeah, I just think there was space in that game to give her um, a substantial amount of time. I think it was it was like a minute and one minute and 30 seconds left and brought her on. Um, there is an element to disrespect there, isn't there? Like, I definitely wouldn't have enjoyed that. Not that I ever came anywhere near 250 appearances. <laughs> you probably did for UL, you were there so long. I, oh, <laughs> I was there for many years. I probably did, you know, I probably did. Thanks for that, Karen. Uh, but in any case, it was 250 and I got 90 seconds on the pitch. I'd be uh, unbelievably pissed off. And you could see the fans on Twitter were not happy as well because she's such a celebrated player and she's she's such a huge part of their history. Um, so yeah, dis- disrespectful and unnecessary probably I would describe that as as well. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, another few games to get through. Reading and Spurs, uh, been only nil-nil of the weekend, but you would have put money on it mm-hmm. not ending nil-nil. There was chances at both ends. This was the strangest game ever because when you look at a nil-nil scoreline, you go on, you expect like a, a, a somewhat dry affair, but there was so many chances, quite a lot of drama front to goal. Um, I'm not sure if you saw that there was one moment at the very end where there was a kind of a loop deflect across that Cooper left. Maloney went to capture it, just bounced over her head. The centre half went to clear it, hit off Maloney and then deflected at the sideline. So I think that was kind of a reflection of the way the game went, like a yeah. little bit bizarre. Um, both teams didn't capitalise on their chances and probably deserved nil all draw but one which I would actually recommend watching because there was quite a lot of entertainment in it Yeah I think they could still be there and it would still be nil all just the way the match was going what that did mean though is it opened up another opportunity for United to take claim of that third spot and United on a really good run of form particularly home games they've stopped conceding City goals like they were maybe at the start of the season and they took the lead against Leicester after 16 minutes so it gave Leicester an uphill mm-hmm. battle from very very early on um, again some very good performances. We mentioned Russo a lot and a couple of corners going in directly and not for the first time from Zellum who scored against City directly from a corner. What's your opinion on that? Is that brilliant corner taking? Is that terrible defending? It's weird. I think you have to analyse each corner as it comes, right? So obviously she does have an unbelievable have unbelievable quality there because she did pull it in against City. But I think for that one, you would have put that down to Robo's positioning, whereas these two are a little bit different. If you look at the first corner, it's not an incredible corner. It actually does go, go somewhat close to the keeper, but I don't know if it's tactical or not, but three of the United players actually rushed in front of the keeper, so it managed to bounce in. But the second one, that was definitely clinical corner taking. I think it was pin perfect. Just clipped the inside of the post and bounced into the net. Um, but if she can do that one, well, if she, if she can do that once and the opposition sees that and doesn't prepare for that, that's pretty bad at Leicester. Um, I'm sure they'll be really, really disappointed with that second one going in because they both went in in the space of something like four minutes in the second half and that completely finished the game. I yeah. don't know. Have you ever scored from a corner, Karen? Have you ever I've, taken a corner? I've, I've never scored. Never taken a set piece, oh. actually. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. I only give them away. Uh, the final <laughs> game then to discuss is Aston Villa and Brighton. Uh, Brighton taking this one. Seen from Brighton, again, we'll talk about the importance of set pieces and Megan Connolly very much involved in that, um, mm. whipping them in for a Letizia finish. Um, on, from an Irish perspective, again, Walsh had some very, very good saves, um, but a good result for Brighton, but probably one we'd expect. Uh, but they do need these results. They had a, a rough time now, but they've turned it around with two wins. 
Yeah, no better time to turn around because I think they've got Arsenal up next. Um, so, yeah, comfortable opening 45 and then they held that 1-0 lead and Conley's just been brilliant. I know Hopal and Namechapter are in the post-match interview as well. And I'll be interested to see how they get on now against Arsenal who are flying. It certainly will. The Coigo pod on OTB Sports in association with Cadbury's FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland's women's national team. If you have any opinions, suggestions or thoughts on how the season is going, will anyone catch Arsenal? Get them to us on Twitter on off the ball using the hashtag OTB Koi gig. We'd love to hear from you. So as I said, there's some things you just can't change. And Emma Carroll spending her weekend in front of about seven different monitors going blind, watching the move of every single player in the WSL is one of them. Thankfully, Emma is here. Put some manners on us. Emma, who made Koi gig team of the week this week? Um, I'll just run through it straight away, but I will say that there was a bit of to and fro and it's possibly my record Irish boys week, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, in goal, we've got Maloney. At the back, we've got Catley, Greenwood, Raffaele and uh, Neville. Uh, midfield two of Megan Connolly and Zellum. And then we've got three of McCabe, Quinn and Russo and Midema up front. Yeah, so we briefly mentioned it earlier and um, just Vivian Miedema reaching those 100 goal contributions. I think we would have put our, our house on her getting that against Birmingham. Um, but yeah, very good performance from her. A strong Arsenal contingency in there, um, Raffaele. And she's striking up a good partnership there and she got her first goal. So I, I definitely agree with that. However, I do think there were a couple other centre-backs. I thought Letizia also, who got a goal, was probably in with a shout. And obviously kept a clean sheet there. Maybe Lily Woodham in Reading as well. Again, just the clean sheets. But um, Raffaella definitely deserves her spot. I'd possibly tip Letizia. Yeah, Letizia is one of those that's on my list and was in and out today. Um, she was one of those ones. Um, and then, yeah, I could have been Williamson or Raffaele. I think the both of them had, I think they're just really forming a brilliant partnership. Yeah, I think and Williamson might have just pipped it for me. I was really on the fence, so it was a really hard call. And it was it the goal that nabbed it for me now. Ah, so. fair enough. We'll give you that one, so. Let's talk about Williamson's ball, ball um, towards the end of the match. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she's... Um, to Nobbs was just incredible as well, yeah. Yeah, um, definitely in with the shout there. Okay, let's talk about the Irish bias. Um, Irish bias. Again. <laughs> yep, um, bit of a combo from the two games because they obviously had the midweek game as well and I thought um, oh, midweek okay. especially she was brilliant. Um, Lucy Quinn, I thought she was excellent. She's one of uh, Birmingham's bright sparks really. She won the free kick for the first goal. She scored the second one. So she was their real hope and she was the one that kept plugging forward. She was always battling she was always the out ball um, I just think the last few games she's really stepped up and she's shown real leadership and let's face it Birmingham probably aren't going to get out of this but if they are then she's going to be one of the ones that do, does push them forward Do you think that that's possibly a concern that they might lose her given the performances that they've had? Do you think she'd be perfect for someone like even Spurs and um, just her work ethic and, and how she works there, possibly a team who's coming up and um, possibly time for a few of the Birmingham people to be putting themselves in the shop window. Yeah. Like you've Liverpool coming up. Well, I'm touching wood and praying and hoping that that's going to be the case <laughs> and that Liverpool are going to come up and they've always already got a nice Irish contingent there. So they definitely could do with a bit of strength and depth and some more WSL um, experience as well. Because they have brought in quite a few new players. Now they have that experience, and obviously Fahey and Campbell as well, but a bit more depth. Um, because they're they're going to have a battle on their hands if that cup game against Arsenal was anything to go by a few weeks ago. 
Yeah, just draw your attention again. Neville makes the team of the week again. She was player of the month and she's had a fantastic run of form recently, popping up with goals, making big tackles. Um, she definitely deserves her shout out there on the right-hand side with Russo in front of her. Yeah, I think, yeah, she just nailed on this weekend. Re- really um, brilliant performance. She was kind of at the heart of a lot of what Spurs was doing. I also kind of was in and out with uh, Percival as well. She was one of the ones that didn't quite make my team. She's on the bench, let's say. Um, but yeah, she was definitely um, between Percival, Quinn, and I just went with my Irish heart. <laughs> and your Irish heart picked uh, Megan Connolly as well. Um, great to get Megan featured in here. She's so consistent. Um, I think that's a really good thing, really good compliment considering the run of form that her team had been in. I think she's really steadied the ship and those set-piece deliveries when things aren't going well for you, they can be the difference. And that has proved to be the case in turning around their form this week. So great to hear her get name-checked and, and long may it continue, hopefully going into the qualifiers. That will be something that Ireland can look to capitalise on because they are really, really impressive. Yeah, I think I, I definitely agree with the Irish bias on most of it now, Emma. So yeah, Connolly definitely, she's amazing. Um, just to be that much of an important player at this point in their season as well. Lucy Quinn, 100%. Uh, just her work, right? She's just a grafter. She's someone you want in your team, want in your squad. Um, and like, I think, I agree, Karen. I think she's going to be definitely someone who's going to be looked at by the teams. She could be ideal for someone like Liverpool. McCabe, I was wondering about this one. She had a good game. She was solid, but then I'm thinking of Lauren Hemp, um, who was really, really impressive. Um, nearly a game cha- changer for City. So look, will. I'll just about accept it as, <laughs> as you justify it um, by the previous game, which I missed actually. So look, maybe there is more to it than that. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't quite sure how many I'd get away with Conti Cup versus WSL <laughs> either. And I, I have stuck Greenwood in there. Um, but no, hemp is, yeah, we generally do. She's basically uh, better a lot. Week, yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> not, not and it makes a lot of missing out this week. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's good to see the Irish girls doing well. Yeah. Actually, the only other person that I would have put in is another Irish goalkeeper, Walsh. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say, yeah. Uh, very, very good saves. Um, so once we're, we're nailing down that number one spot, I don't really mind where it comes from once it's Irish. Um, and I thank you so much for that. Um, so what do you reckon did Emma nail it this week? Do you think we left anyone out are you sick of us and our Irish bias I don't think we ever will um, <laughs> for rockers get your thoughts and opinions into us on Twitter and at off the ball using the hashtag OTB now we are very excited to say that we are joined by Liverpool captain Ireland Centurion and all round sound skin me Fahi definitely my favourite Fahi on this podcast welcome uh, hey straight <laughs> off come on <laughs> Cheers, Karen. I appreciate it. Happy to yeah. be favourite as well. Early doors. We, yeah, yeah, that's the way it has to be. Um, we've obviously been buzzing to get you on the podcast for a while. Um, very happy that it happened after you reached that brilliant milestone of 100 caps. Now, obviously, we'll talk about that, but you have so much to talk about. Looking at your domestic honours, three English Super League titles, five FA Cups, three League Cups. I'm basing this on absolutely no research at all, but I'm going to say the most decorated female footballer um, this country has ever produced. All that with All-Stars, getting a degree, an MBA. Are you wrecked? <laughs> <laughs> You'd be retiring me tomorrow, I'd say, with that list. 
<laughs> not at all sure uh, but I do love retiring to be fair I retired in yeah. so. <laughs> so it's just very impressive to me um out of that list I guess you've done it all you've seen it all is there any one thing that stands out to you from your career um, to date obviously there's still a lot more to come we're really pulling for Liverpool to get that promotion this season but is there anything from your current list of achievements that really stands out yeah, look, there's a lot there that uh, I'm obviously very proud of. Different achievements at international level. With, um, although we haven't qualified yet, that's something that I do feel is missing. Uh, but aside from that, from my club career, obviously my first period at Arsenal, I really enjoyed uh, all the success we had there and I really enjoyed my football. So that kind of that kind of brings back great memories. But also the All-Ireland, we, we won in 2004 with the Galway team. That kind of has a special place because uh, it was done mainly with friends and uh, Gaelic football is have a strong, as you know, background in Gaelic football and uh, the parish and the pride of place in Galway and all that brings. It has a special emotional connection. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a few, but those are the ones kind of that stand out. So is that a hint that you might see it in the maroon and white again? I know Ruth has very strong feelings on the GA versus soccer debate here. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't know about that. We'll have to. See, I, I have no plans for after. We we'll see how the body is. If we're, I prefer now. If you're going back in maroon, you can go back to Galway WFC. There's a team yeah. that's in desperate need of an experienced centre half back there. I'm not sure um, the way uh, Galway WFC are going. They look like uh, they're flying ahead with the young, the future young ones. So uh, no, they're they're going well. I, Oh yeah, they know they're going well. Always need for a blend, though. Always need for a blend. Um, but it's fascinating you mentioned Gaelic out of all that list because that All Ireland trophy was what like 18, 17, 18 years ago. But it's obviously still a huge, huge achievement in your mind. And this does bring up the question of Gaelic versus soccer. I'll say soccer because it's just easier. Um, and it's it's a, quite an issue in the Western clubs. I know, Karen, you would have spoken about it with. Psycho Rover CEO last week and he kind of said look you need to keep an open mind with this as opposed to just being black and white yes or no I would have traditionally been black and white yes or no because I'm not from a gay I don't have a gay background um, I suppose it's not, it's not my history but I know you've spoken in the past about how much it's benefited you and how much it's given you a variety of skill set obviously you still remember that achievement so well like do you think there's an age where you can actually where you need to choose? Do you, would you encourage multi sports as long as possible, or what's your view on it now, all these years later? Yeah, I, sp- I suppose for me personally, all I can speak of is my experience, and I think it's benefited me. So obviously, I think definitely there's an age that you need to choose. You need to solely focus on one, and for me, that came when I started getting picked for the Irish international team and was making that step up to senior maybe nowadays you probably have to make that step or decision a little bit sooner um but I was fortunate enough to have really understanding managers on the international setup and also the Galway team um but I would be of the mantra that the the more sports you play the more diverse skill sets you pick up and therefore the better all-round athlete you become and it's also more stimulating for the person for me I think if I had just solely focused on one sport yeah, if that's your complete passion, then fair enough, you do mm. that. But I also had a passion for Gaelic football. So um, the way that that took me, I was, I think I was able to maximise uh, the best of abilities in all-round athlete and as an all-round sports person. Yeah, I think it was probably reflective of the time when we grew up as well. Obviously, domestic soccer wasn't as big. There was no women's national league around. Yeah. So you wanted to get as much sport into your system as you possibly could. Um, there has been a lot of development obviously in terms of the Irish League, but 
you went over to Arsenal at a time, you, you've seen it all kind of, you, you saw the WSL, the Super League come in um, and all of the professionalism that's come with that. What's been the biggest change you've seen in recent times? Yeah, I think you make a good point, Karen, to be fair about the, the standard and the professionalism that has come in because there probably is an argument there that you do need to choose a bit uh, quicker and the sign of the times that we grew up in was different. But the biggest change for me that I've seen and even in the in the growth of the game at home in Ireland is just um, the levels of fitness and the the speed of the game and the technical ability. It's, it's hard to pick one specific genre because I think the whole game has just gone... Uh, levels and levels above when I first started out um, in terms of strength and conditioning, nutrition, the way people are recovering, looking after their bodies. Yeah, it's just the whole round athletic performance of the individual has gone up and also the skill set. Um, so it's yeah, it, it's great for the game, but also the demands are probably increasing on younger players, therefore to probably pick earlier which, um, which route they want to go down. Yeah. yeah. Um, really interesting. Um, but you you mentioned there that you didn't want to diversify and you've also included a lot of work and study during your playing career. Obviously at the start, that was maybe because you had to and the WSL isn't where it is now in terms of sponsorship and wages and things like that. Um, but is that a thing with you? Is it to do with balance or was it just the sign of the times or yeah, what uh, made you continue your studies, I suppose? Probably, well, more so... I didn't have a choice. So it was definitely a sign of the times because when I first went to England, it was semi-professional and I was at a club like Arsenal that at that a lot of times people weren't even semi-professional. Uh, so I definitely had to have that in the back of my mind that I needed an education and I needed um, a job to go into once my football uh, career had finished as such. At that time, I wasn't even thinking of it as a career really. Um, but yeah, I think as it also as the years have gone on, it's also helped me to you know, uh, keep a good balance in my life. I've been, I've seen both sides where you're working and you're playing and then you're also just playing fully and, and actually just solely concentrating on football is not, for me, it wasn't a healthy thing. Um, you, be, you become bogged down in the results at the weekend. You live for those highs and those lows and uh, it's actually good for me to have the study to be able to balance that and actually have something on the side that's not football related and it's a different, it's a different purpose, a different perspective. And yeah, I just find it keeps me, uh, keeps me grounded and, and less intense really on just focusing on football all the time. Yeah, it's funny. I actually did a conversation recently with, with Julianne Russell about this and she was saying the more she's kind of gone down a similar route or not, not even studying, but working um, either part or full time and playing and she felt that benefited her really well. So if she had a tough day at work. She doesn't think about football while she's working and can obviously finish at half five and come and train. So obviously everybody's different, but I can see by your history, that you're, you're probably definitely type A personality. I think there's no doubt about that. And like looking at the different routes of education you've gone, you, was it science and NUIG you kind of started out with? Yeah, and onto, onto pharmacology. I'm fascinated by your transition recently into, is it data analytics or something similar? And then into an MBA at John Moore's. Um, are you still studying the MBA at the moment? Yeah, I'm into the, the second semester route and the assignments are coming thick and fast. So I'm kind of regretting no. it at the minute. <laughs> I can only imagine. Um, I say that's a brilliant course. I had a little look at the modules just because I'm an absolute nerd and things like transforming organizations, um, exploring strategy of organizations, operationalizing the strategy. I was literally just frothing at that kind of stuff. So is it is it is it tough like or is it is it really interesting? And 
Um, I suppose, I hope, I hope that's a route you see yourself maybe going down when that big retirement does come whenever you're ready for that. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting course. Uh, the MBA I'm doing at John Moore is I'm really enjoying it. It's completely different. Obviously, my background is in science and pharmacology, but this is going into the business. And that's something that I see myself in, maybe like a sporting director, general manager role. That's something that I have an interest in, definitely within within the sports uh, environment. So, yeah, it's, it's been a, a good learning curve, a good step out of the comfort zone because strategy and uh, transformation leadership, these are all things I had no idea about it at all before. So I've really enjoyed learning about them. It's been difficult, but I'm enjoying the challenge and I'm finding it finding really interesting real world concepts then that I can actually apply to where we're at now. So yeah, it's benefiting me a lot. Is that something you'd like to bring in, say, down the line with Liverpool? Obviously, there's a lot of talk about the progression of Liverpool and obviously things weren't as good as they should be for a while and we're obviously seeing a lot of improvements this season. I assume that that's coming from the top down, not just the players on the pitch, that you're getting a lot more support now um, and it's, it's shown. Is that something you'd like to continue possibly with Liverpool, obviously given that you are a lifelong Liverpool fan? You're, you're lining me up here for a job, Kerry. <laughs> <laughs> She's coming back to Galway to play for Galway. Can you just leave yeah. her off? <laughs> um, yeah, look, if, it, obviously that's the role I'm kind of gearing towards um, and definitely working within sports, within football, that's where I'd like to see my future. Uh, it's my passion. And then if I could blend the two, well, then that's hitting the jackpot, really. Um, I don't I don't know what's what's on offer in Liverpool, but there's no doubt about the restructure that's happened at the club as uh, we're seeing the benefits of that restructuring in the organisation from the top down. So there's a lot of scope at Liverpool to continue the work uh, that has been done already to build on, to get the club um, up to the top level and competing where it should be. So, yeah, I mean, who, who knows? But uh, that's definitely an area that I'm looking at getting into once I stop playing. And you have plenty of experience of seeing mismanagement. Obviously, we, we won't get too into the, the FAI stuff. Um, I think we've, we've spoken about that a lot. But another thing that's come on a long way, um, you've obviously gone through, maybe we'll say, three, four generations of managers now, but this is certainly the time where we're seeing the most focus, I would say, on the women's team. Um, it's been great to see, and it's obviously reflective of the fact that we probably would have gone for Euros qualification before and um, World Cup would have maybe seemed out of reach, although you'd never say it in the media. But is that mindset to do with just the improvements that you're seeing and the actual backing? Definitely. Uh, you were there part of the group in Liberty Hall. I mean, you know all about it. There's only people into the past, the past struggles, but definitely from that moment on was a watershed moment. And um it's 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 changed completely uh, the operation side of things and, and and how we're valued and how we're treated and I think that brings a good pressure and a good performance pressure. Then that's yeah we haven't qualified but you know we're getting a lot better results that hopefully will uh, transpire into us actually qualifying. Um, yeah, but from the CEO uh, to Jonathan Hill to Gareth Maher, all these guys who are actually pushing the game in the right direction and and have a will for the game, the women's game to actually improve and, and get us to a final. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of good work that's being done. Obviously, it can always improve, but people in the game that are, are pushing it in the right direction, it's only going to go one way. 
Yeah, I, I promised Karen that I, I wouldn't go and get into structures and that kind of crap because we've been going no, the next, <laughs> next six to eight hours here and I won't be pretty. So, um, but I have to say, uh, Neve, like the, uh, the qualification you're getting now and your own experience, like you'll be so unbelievably valuable if you do hopefully come back home. It doesn't necessarily have to be West, but like the way our, our league, the way the Women's National League is going and all the talk of going semi-pro or one day going pro, I, mean, I think it'll be so, so valuable. Um. So it's brilliant to hear that you have an interest in staying in that side of it, which would be epic. Now I'm just going to bounce back a little bit. I've I've got a, I've got a few curveballs, but not too not too curvy. So don't worry, okay. But I did I I found a very um a fascinating article with the Irish Examiner, just an interview with yourself last month, and there's a couple of like beautiful quotes that I just had to throw at you. <laughs> I really enjoyed. <laughs> we'll go with one, right? So this is from your good self. I've never had a grand plan. I don't know where this ends. I've always just gone up my gut and with whatever was going. If I take another fork in the road, maybe I'd have stayed in Galway playing Gaelic football, hopefully not, and be working in science somewhere. So I'm I'm intrigued with someone like yourself, like in terms of your decision making. Stop laughing, me, Karen. Like, this is a serious <laughs> question. <laughs> this is a serious question. I'm intrigued by decision making and how you've always, you went to Ars at a time nobody was going over. I actually remember we were at the Manchester Cup with Galway and we were getting on the we we're going to get on the flight and you were just going off somewhere else. We're like, me, where, where are you going? Different suitcase. You said, I'm going to Arsenal. <laughs> With no no dramas, no nothing. No, I just signed for Arsenal and we were kind of shell shocked, but obviously in awe and unbelievably uh, proud that our own teammate was going over. Although he did abandon us just before Sarajevo, which we we got over in the end. Um <laughs> And you went to Arsenal time when no one was going. Obviously, you left Arsenal and went to Chelsea. You went to Bordeaux, which was a little bit different. Um, but in terms of making those kind of decisions, like, are you, a, do you think it through or do you just go with your gut, like you say? Um, are you a pros and cons list kind of person? Yeah, it's uh, it, when that interview came up, I, I those questions, you know, they were quick fire and they caught me off guard. But I think honestly, you I came uh, up with that quote after a quick fire question. <laughs> honestly, oh, that, that was a quick fire. Been, I'll tell you, I was beautiful. Spot with um, <laughs> hence, hence the gut response. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, in fairness, um, I am someone who is not, I'm not very much, I'm somewhere in between. I'm not a pros and cons list, uh, but I'm more driven by what feels right and where I think, you know, this, this is a good step for me. This is somewhere that I'm going to progress this is feels right at the time, like going to Bordeaux. I had a, I had enough of the English league at that time. I needed to just go and play um, after losing a starting place at Chelsea. So I, I'm all about, you know, where's the next step? Where can I improve? Where can be a different challenge for me? And it's all about challenging myself really. And then, yeah, how that, how that fits in the moment. So um, that's probably the main driver behind most of my decisions. Uh, yeah, just self-improvement. That's all I, I ever really want to do is try and get better, try to be the best ber- version of myself. Yeah, yeah I love that. Is that deep enough for you now? That's deep enough for the first uh, for the first time I'm on the podcast. I better not cross too many lines or I'll never be invited back. So. <laughs> no, but to be fair, what you mentioned there in you're saying where you can improve, but also where you can be of most help. And I think when you got your 100 caps, a lot of people were obviously on on Twitter and just talking about the contribution you've made. And I think anyone who's played in a squad with you, you you bring a positive energy to every squad you're in. Um, And obviously with this today, the achievements, that that comes from being a brilliant player. What's it like now as as captain? Obviously, you've always been a leader um, in squads, but is there a different dynamic 
that comes with captaincy or did have you always just had that leadership in you where you've kind of took on that role um you're definitely someone I looked up to um all the way through even though you're full of shit but (laughs) 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 but is it something you you would have gone after would you have gone after captaincy or is this just something that came naturally to you it was a natural fit um difficult question to answer because you know the real me and <laughs> all these answers here now are, are the, the PC version and they're yeah exactly to get I would say it's a natural fit though given how popular you were among the squad um, I, I, yeah you, you, you say that but then it's also definitely well I'm doing the NBA now it's definitely a learned habit and like mm. all these skills are yeah you, you think you have a natural ability but there's so much to come with being captain that you actually have to change a lot of your personality you can't be you know as carefree at times you're you have to do set a standard instead of set a level so that's something that I've had to adjust with and, and actually keep some boundaries that maybe yeah before you can just be one of the girls in the team but you do have to separate your boundaries um, and keep those standards so yeah there's been a bit of a learning curve but yeah I think you have naturally probably like yourself say I probably have natural leadership uh, abilities but I've definitely had to work on it and something that I'm kind of still like again self-improvement always trying to always trying to work on it and, and gain things from other captains other leaders and, and how they, they how they go about things yeah I think I think being the captain of a female squad and a lead female squad is, is really challenging um, because you, all, you obviously have a lot of different personal you have a huge age age range first of all a lot of different personalities like a lot of kind of different issues that come up Um I found like when I was captain, I was younger and I had like between 16 to 30 year olds. And I always tried to be very approachable as a captain, but then you end up taking on a lot of, of other people's problems and you kind of have to be able to draw that line. Like you mentioned the word boundaries and you have to be able to do that, but at the same time, uh, make sure that you're still there to look out for them as well. Um, I know it can be pretty complex, but in terms of leadership styles, I don't know if you've come across that in your MBA yet, but I find it fascinating. How would you describe your leadership style if you had um, to? Definitely a transformational leader with a different, with a servant leadership style. Is that good? Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> oh, shit. You're, you're cut off the podcast there. <laughs> I'm, I'm going red now. I'm cutting it. That's, I'm yeah. That's straight from the textbook. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. So we, uh, no further I, questions. I've just, just come off semester one, Ruth, and it was all about uh, leadership style. So okay. I'm, I'm well versed. Um, well, in the dressing room, uh, in layman's terms. <laughs> no, obviously, I'm all talking crap there. Like, it, that that's that's all um yeah philosophical uh you know jargon or whatever but um as a leader probably like yourself if it is a it is a difficult um complex role sometimes because the thing I find hard about about it is uh being a player focusing on yourself and then also trying to manage uh everyone else around you like you Mm -hmm. said emotions and not having those boundaries but again, if it comes to the things of trying to be approachable, uh, then also trying to be the best player. And I do find that, like you have found, it's it's a very difficult balance and act. Um, and I think the just the more you go through it, the easier it gets. Uh, mm. But the, uh, actually, when it comes to, I know you're interested in the research stuff. I don't know if you've come across this, but um, they were talking about leadership in sport. And for a captain of a team, a player, the, the most effect significant effect you can have on your team is actually when you're out playing 
So it's not mm. about big speeches or talking a lot. It's actually about your actions on the pitch day in, day out at training. So that's something where I've tried to set good standards, good habits in training. Um, rather than these motivational speeches, people don't really listen to them and it has little effect. Um, so yeah, being that leader on the pitch in training and during games is it seems to be the most effective way to actually help the team. So yeah, that's something that I, I try and bring. That's brilliant. No, I haven't seen the research, but I definitely went, as you were saying that I just thought of Casey O'Driscoll. If you remember her, Karen, from college, like not, not a huge talker, but just an unbelievable baller and just the way she conducts herself on the pitch and everything um, still remains like probably one of the best captains I've ever had. So that yeah. makes total what sense. What I was thinking when you were saying that is oh, approachable. No wonder I was never asked to be <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I didn't want to say yeah. <laughs> so it's clicking it's here. very now. approachable. It's just, you just need to break down that first layer. One layer. Too many, too many walls. Enough psychoanalysis from Ruth for one day. Um, <laughs> let's get back to um, the hundred caps, and I know we just mentioned it and all the the praise and, and stuff you were getting on Twitter. For me, my favorite ever Irish player by far, and uh, favorite person to play with. Such a common influence. What what did that mean for you? The video that your mom was in was obviously so lovely. I was honest, I was even emotional. Um, <laughs> what, what did that feel like um, for you to, to finally, I guess, finally get some of the attention that I feel like you've always deserved? I know you've won um, Player of the Year a few times, but it's been a while now. And obviously we talk a lot about Katie and Denise and stuff. But for me, you've always been the spine of that team. What was it like getting that 100th cap? Thanks, Carol. Uh, you're one of my biggest supporters always, but um, no, I uh, appreciate that. Uh, yeah, it, to, to be honest, it was a bit of a, a bit of a relief getting it, you know, because as it was coming, I was at the 90s and then you're kind of thinking, geez, this this might not come or you don't know the things are going to pan out. And then actually, as you're getting a lot, when I was getting a lot closer, I was like, God, I just kind of nearly wanted to be over now because there's kind of so much talk about it. <laughs> so it was it was fantastic, but at the same time, you know me, I wouldn't I would like to dwell on it for too for too long either. But uh, yeah, the the video that uh, Gara organized and all the gang there, my mom speaking, it just, I did I, I I got emotional as well. I was trying not to be emotional, but it it, it does bring um it does bring a lot home and, and makes you think back and reflect and say, yeah, well, what an unbelievable achievement uh this is. So yeah, it was it was emotional and obviously just a massive uh proud honor to to reach that to reach that number for my country. Yeah, you're part of an elite club. There are now only three others and they're all people who you're obviously really good friends with. So that must be nice. I'd say you'll reflect over that, maybe having a drink at Christmas. <laughs> and just like, we, yeah, we, we had, had good times. We have one or, myself and Anya had one or two, just one or two quiet ones after. Oh, just yeah. To, yeah, we had to, you know, toast the occasion. I don't know if we can put that out now. So we might be taking it. Like you say, you got the 100 caps there. You don't care. <laughs> say what you want. Uh, well, yeah, no, we, we, we talked about it on as well. Uh, what a servant she's been, what a player through the years, still going strong. And Emma and Kira, mm. unbelievable players as well. So yeah, to join to join those group of girls is unbelievable. 
Yeah, well, we don't use the word lightly, but um, thank you, Nifahi Ireland legend, for joining us on the podcast this week. Um, that's all from myself, Ruth and Emma. Things will be a little bit different on the pod for the coming weeks, but I hope you'll stick with us and my obviously unprofessional leadership of this podcast. But please make sure you send Kathleen loads of love on Twitter. We can't wait till she's back. I personally can't wait till she's back. So well, thanks, Karen. Jesus. <laughs> Um, Give me a chance. But, yeah, yeah. We can't wait till she's back again. Talking about Sligo way too much. And thanks, <laughs> Neve. And we'll catch you. Thanks, Neve. The Koi Gig Pod and OTB Sports in association with Cadbury. A player and a half deserves a glass and a half of support.